0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey there. Welcome to Nick Pollock and
1: Friends, where I talk to people I know and who you should know. Ah, today's guest is Ellen Dare. I'm not even going to give you this long-winded intro. I just want to get straight to it. I'm so happy you're here, Ellen. Thank you so much for being a part of the show.
2: I am so thrilled to be here. I'm so thrilled to be part of the eponymous friends of Nick Pollock and <laughs> friends. I'm incredibly touched. This is the best part of my week.
1: Oh man, that okay? That's that's ridiculous and absolutely not true. But I am I'm thrilled to talk to talk to you today. Um, yeah, I mean, just just for everybody listening right now, I want you to get the opportunity just to talk about all the amazing things you've done. Um, you were on CBS recently. Uh, you've been on MLB Network and, and you've written it as well. But that's a very, very small amount of the crazy good things you've done. So please remind us, uh, where can people find Elena Dare out in the world?
2: Yeah. So, Ellen Adair out in the world most commonly is not Ellen Adair, but, uh, like I, I pretend to be other people for my job. That's what I do. I am incredibly fortunate to do that and, uh, and, you know, have been working hard, uh, for an unspecified number of years to do that. Uh, so I am, uh, I have a sort of small recurring role, well, recurring guest star on Bull. Um, as uh ADA glover. She's not a very nice lady. Um, I do play a lot of sort of mean white ladies, especially these days. And uh it's uh it's always a good time. Um my favorite mean white lady that I played was uh Janet Bain on Homeland. Hmm. Uh such a weasel. It's like <laughs> some of the most fun that I've ever had.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you enjoy playing mean characters over kind of characters? Um
2: no, I don't think so. I, yeah, I don't know. That sounds sort of like trying to pick your favorite child. But what I will say <laughs> is, I, what I enjoyed specifically about Janet, what I think is fun is playing characters who are uh, people of action mm-hmm. rather than the victims of something. Sure. So sometimes it's the bad guys who are the people of action versus you know just being the victim of circumstances or whatever. And sometimes right. it's like often women who are like, "Oh no, what is me?" So I, I mean, fortunately, increasingly less so. Uh, kind of with um, with the writing for women that is happening these days, but traditionally. Um, So like my other sort of largest recurring role uh, is Bess in The Sinner. And I loved working on that show. But and this is not, I mean, not a spoiler if people have not seen season two of The Sinner, but Bess is like pretty miserable almost all of the time. So it was a great, blessing to work on that show and you know antonio campos is a complete genius and i had a great time but like bess is miserable the whole time mm. whereas janet is just like i'm trying to figure out how i can run the world and so like yeah that's sort of more fun
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely um yeah, yeah it, i mean okay for for someone that is so nice i, I can imagine there's this kind of enjoyment i know this it's really weird but um if you're playing a mean character, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, this is easy to do. And I could do this. But look, I am not doing that because that is the wrong thing to do. And you have this exhaust in that way to be that mean character. I don't know. I can find. Look, I am not an actor. And if I tried, I would fail miserably. I think uh, you'd be great. No, see, no, no. Uh, I don't know if you saw my fourth grade play, Horton, Here's a Who, where my line, I had one line, this entire thing, because every kid had to have a line. It was someone said, Horden Horton. Did you go to sleep okay last night? And I interrupted, and said no. The question is, did you wake up okay this morning? And that is my acting career. Thank you, thank you oh, so much. Yeah, I'm
2: really sorry I missed it. <laughs> I thought I, th- I somehow I thought that the story was going to be like, and I messed up that one line. Oh, but no, like I you nailed, nailed it. it. So I did,
1: but it was um. Well, did I nail it though? The tone I think was a little bit off. I watched the VHS about ten times after and. <laughs> I feel like I could have delivered it just a really? little more ah. suggestive, a little more facetious, you know, really come out right. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I would not be a good actor. And I, I, I can imagine, though, like you get to be a mean person. And it's as a, as a human, we all know. I mean, a lot of us know, like, I'm not supposed to do this because of the empathy you have a lot for the person in front. Like, I don't want to mm. put them through this. And the main times that we have to fight emotionally, you know, our instincts are to lash out and to... Uh, you know, to hurt the person in front because they've hurt us. And what holds us back is that feeling, right, I don't want them to go through that. But when
2: you're acting,
1: you know, you're supposed to and it's kind of this release in that way.
2: Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, I think you have hit the nail on the head, at least for me in terms of acting, because I feel like all human beings are actually infinity. We are anything we could mm. do anything at any moment. But we choose to hopefully, you know, be kind to other people, be thoughtful, live in fulfilling relationships with other people. But our capacity is endless. And so, for me, one of the reasons why acting is absolutely required, like if somebody told me tomorrow I could never act again, I would be like, I'm going to look into euthanasia. And I don't even say that, like to be depressing about it or something but just like i must do this thing because i'm just i feel so homesick for all of the parts of myself that i don't get to be as this Mm. one which actually feels like very arbitrary creation that is myself right and i think all people are this i'm not saying like i'm special and i am infinite like everybody is well you're special
1: and let's just let's just knock that out of the way
2: okay (laughs) No, I'm just. I mean, I'm a. I'm. I'm a special weirdo, is what I am. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's not just like oh being mean or something like that but yeah like I'm I'm homesick for the part of myself that is like the chief of staff to a senator and I'm homesick for the part of myself that is you know like a 1920s person and I'm homesick for the part of myself that's like a no-nonsense lawyer and all of these things and so yeah I just I just feel like it's not like there's anything wrong and now I'm going to do that. This is a super annoying thing. I'm going to quote myself. So yes. I, I have a, I have a book of poetry and of one I of do. the lines, of course I do. I know. Um, it's called Curtain Speech, by the way. It's published by Penn and Anvil Press. You can also find it on Amazon. But if you're interested, get it uh, through the publisher just because then the publisher gets more money. So um, I have this line. Myself is only a character that I play for want of any other which is just how it feels like I've created this self, which is is fine. There's like nothing wrong with it. But any anything that is finite is obviously going to be less than that, which is infinite, which is all of sure, us. Yeah, right. So, uh, OK, yeah, check
1: out that book. <laughs> I am so happy to hear that you you have one. I mean, of course you do. And it sounds like, duh. of course, Ellen Dare has one. I, uh, that's, that's, <gasps> this is what I wanted to get at is cause I didn't know you had that book. I didn't know you had a book of poetry. That's amazing. I, uh, you've been acting for how long actually have you been Um, like, what was your first official part that got you an IMDB page?
2: Oh, okay. So, I mean, I have been, I have been acting, you know, my Forever. whole life yeah, in like, right. You know, kitty plays and stuff like that. I did my first, professional show when I was fifteen, but that was a play and uh that was uh, Midsummer Night's Dream and I played Puck and I oh, had a yes. great time. Of course
1: you play I was gonna guess Puck because you would do such Thanks. a great puck. You would embrace yeah. the 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 mischievous chaos of that character.
2: Yeah, especially at fifteen. Um oh, it, yeah. was gra- it was a great it was a great time. I rode around in a shopping cart. It was delightful. Of
1: course you did. Yeah.
2: And uh and I mean, that was not my choice, but like that was something that I got to do. Like, thanks. Thanks, <laughs> director. Um, and so then I, uh, you know, went to college, studied English. Uh, I had a minor in theater because I thought, oh, well, I will go to grad school for theater. Both of my parents are college professors. So they wanted me to get sort of more general education then they did not want me to go to a conservatory program for acting but like the plan was always i'm going to be an actor but obviously i love english like i have a published book of poetry so (laughs) Uh, i'm such a nerd so um this is a good thing
1: you're you're saying nerd and you're saying weirdo with negative connotations and not allowed uh, here this is all embraced here
2: i'm such a nerd i'm such a weirdo uh we are nerds
1: absolute nerds i mean yeah it's great
2: can't be otherwise. So, um so yes, then it was after it was right out of college that I um got my first TV role. And this was all because I so I went to school in Boston and was like, "Oh, well, I'll just stick around in Boston and see what it's like to try to be an actor and audition for stuff." And uh this was a complete mistake but it was a great decision on my part just because the sort of the actor to job ratio in Boston is much better and far more reasonable than it is in New York mm, um okay. or in yeah. Los Angeles so it was just much easier to sort of like get a foothold and actually get seen for things like so much of the difficulty of being an actor in New York or Los Angeles is literally just like getting the opportunity to audition for the thing but in sure. Boston the barrier to actually get seen for something is not huge. Uh, it's not non-existent, but it's, uh, it's not huge. So anyway, so right out of school, I, um, <clears throat> I was in the Showtime series Brotherhood. Although no, actually the first thing that I did was a, uh, PBS documentary about John James Audubon. And I played John James Audubon's wife. And Part of it involved... I mean, you know, this is this is the American Masters series. So there's no dialogue, but it's me, you know, being so happy that my husband is home and myself and the actor playing John James Audubon, like embracing or like me sad at a piano and like writing a letter and all that stuff. But the first day was uh, was swimming in a lake. So at the audition... They asked, "Do you like to swim?" And I lied, and I said yes. Now, if it's an Wait, ability, you don't like swimming. I don't like swimming. No, no. I am. Uh, I am. I am a cat as a person, <laughs> and I I could easily sleep twenty hours a day. I like to loll around in the sun, and I hate being wet. I actually don't like it. I like being clean, oh, wow. so I sure. bathe, but like I don't enjoy it. I understand many people enjoy bathing. For me, it's it's a means to an end. <laughs> so you're being so,
1: like your sad cat face, essentially, as it's going on.
2: I mean, uh, I was trying because because Lucy Audubon loved to swim. This is the thing that they would do, is that yeah, they would swim in this like lake and So, yeah, they asked me about preference. I would never, to be clear, I would never lie about an ability. If they were like, do you know how to swim? And I didn't know how to swim. I would not say that. If they were like, do you know how to ride a horse? And I was like, no. I mean, I wouldn't say I could ride a horse if I couldn't ride a horse, for example. But if they just asked me if I liked something, I was like, well, (laughs) Uh, especially at the time when I was living, you know, on like... $800 a month that I was piecing together from different jobs, I was like, yes, I like to swim for $700 a day. I absolutely love it. Um, But you can see in the footage that I'm like, not I'm trying to act, but I'm like not having the time of my life because this was uh, in Massachusetts in October. Oh, no, I was I was swimming. So it was freezing, very cold. cold. It was very cold and I was swimming in a lake, which is my least favorite place to swim because of like the lake weed.
1: Yo, yeah, I know this. Yeah, right. I don't want to feel the bottom. I just feel icky and I wanna I wanna get out of it. I understand completely.
2: I just yeah. I always think that like I just I, I when I'm in a lake, I can't but help imagine like the gigantic catfish at the bottom. Ah, just the like waiting. Yes waiting to like drag me down to be his catfish spouse. So every uh, every
1: lake has a giant catfish. This is just the law. We all know this. Yes. There's just one that has established themselves as like the the mob boss of this lake.
2: Yeah. 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 It has like an eye patch.
1: (laughs) Oh, exactly. It's been through a lot to earn its its place inside of this lake. It's got Uh, like sort of
2: scratches (laughs) on it like a dinosaur or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So if I watch this uh, um, PBS Masters series, right, um, and I I see this, I'm going to see Lucy Audubon um, just thinking about the giant catfish.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's my subtext. Like you can see (laughs) that I'm like trying to be like, yay, I'm swimming in the lake. Um, But yeah, they were also like, oh, can you swim in this place where the light is really good? And that was... That was the place where like all the lake weed was and there was actually like only this much. Well, all right. So this is an auditory medium. There was only about a foot of water before you got into the lakeweed. So like my arms are plunging oh into God. the lake weed being like, I'm making $700. I'm making $700. <laughs> yeah. So it was. Uh,
1: look look at a glorious start to your acting career. A glorious all the sacrifices you have to make. Yeah. Um, yes. and how did how did you get that part in the first place? Like gain the audition? Did you just see it somewhere and show up that day?
2: Well, I had done. Uh, it was not the first. That was the first like uh, TV or film thing that I sure, had done. Yeah. But I had done um, a play that summer at the Boston Public Theater, um, which is very sadly because I loved it so much. It is now defunct, but it is one of two uh, at the time basically like Shakespeare in the Park things so um i had done uh the play arcadia which is one of the best plays ever uh Mm -hmm. by tom stoppard and if i were picking favorite children i would still all these years later even though it's like what i did right out of school pick thomasina in arcadia she's like a brilliant 13 year old mathematician In I think it's like 1816, might might be 1812. I don't remember exactly. And like, yeah, I mean, talk about the part of myself that I am homesick for. Like every single day of of my life, I am homesick for being Thomasina Coverly. I love her forever, (laughs) and I cannot wait until I die and we're reunited. So, um, so I had done that play uh, with, uh, and the actor playing Septimus. For anybody who's familiar with this play, um, basically recommended me to this casting director because it's such a small community, like that kind of thing works. And that kind of thing can work as well um, in, uh, in, in New York, if you know somebody, but generally like there are so many actors that an actor recommendation doesn't mean anything. They're like, yeah, we know you're an actor. We know, you know, other actors. Um, But uh, he, yeah, he knew the casting director and was just like, Hey, um, you should see this, you know, young woman who is in this play with me right now. So, that's how that happened through his kindness.
1: So I and, mean, so, you stuck around with this casting director, I assume after PBS.
2: Um, actually I don't remember. I don't think so. Um, mm. I don't remember that wasn't one of the, like, there are not a ton of casting directors in Boston, but there was another casting director that Lewis Wheeler was the actor's name. Um, I can't remember if I already gave him credit, but, uh, he also introduced me to another casting director, and that was also how I got the audition for Brotherhood, which was like the the bigger first thing that I did, gotcha, where okay. you know I had right, like
1: Showtime, yeah.
2: lines, and it was Showtime, and it was a couple of weeks of filming, and yeah, it like it it yeah, it changed my life a little bit. Um, that that particular job.
1: That, that, that's amazing. I mean, this is I. Uh... And you don't really hear this often of like the actual starts in the, and you're saying $800 a month and it's a real grind. It's the one that we expect, you know, the, the starving artists. But all of a sudden, I mean, you get brotherhood and all of a sudden it, you feel like the, you know, the world is your oyster almost right. Like as if things are going to be coming after this.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, actually uh, the, the way that it, changed my life. I mean, I have many fond memories of people who were so nice on that show. Um, Like uh, Jason Clark was one of the two leads and was just such a prince and was so Mm. kind to me. And I've thought back on it so many times because part of your job as an actor when you are one of the sort of top people on the call sheet Um, One of the leads of the thing is actually like to try to be um, the host almost of the whole set is like to try to make people feel more welcome is to try to, you know, make jokes and make sure that people are having a good time. And like there are there are actors who who don't do this, but I have noticed that there are enough who do um, that like I consider it to be part of my job when I'm lucky enough to be, you know, one of the first three people on the call sheets that I'm like, this is my house. And, and I have to make sure that everybody is like having as much of a good time as possible. Sure, yeah. And so, yeah, that was definitely the first time that like that behavior was ever modeled to me and, you know, that he like talked to me. So in Brotherhood... I I was, uh, it's the the last episode of the first season takes place at my character's wedding. So for two weeks of filming, I was wearing a wedding dress and wedding dresses are not made to be worn for two weeks. Like they're sure, made sure, to be worn God. the one day. And then if you get something on them, like that's too bad, but it's not a continuity issue. So the wardrobe department was just very particular about what I could and could not do. And basically like I had to stay in my trailer and I couldn't walk around. So like oh Jason God. Clark went to go get me a diet Coke. Cause he came by and he was like, do you need anything? I'm not going to try to do an Australian exit. Cause I'm not good at them. <laughs> and I, and I was like, ah, uh, I don't know a diet Coke. And he brought me back a diet Coke, like totally ridiculous. Absolutely. So, so nice. But in answer to your question, um, yes, the main thing that it changed was that I like, I was like, Oh, I can, I can, buy the food that i want now so the money that i made from that i didn't like i remember i bought people like slightly nicer christmas presents that year but like i just saved it i just put it away and i was like oh this is for i don't have to be like okay all i have is 45 dollars to eat this week i can be like you know if the apples are not of a price that i want i can still buy apples and so yeah that's the way in which it changed my my life yeah that's a that's
1: a huge improvement um, yes, I, I, I also sure. think on behalf of everybody, we're a little sad that uh, there isn't some part coming up where you have to be an Australian, so yeah. you can maybe <sighs> practice uh, your accent I, for.
2: I us. would, I would love that so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I do think it's very difficult to me, mostly because it's uh, like I've lived in England, and so being English is so comfortable to me. Sure, that yeah. Australian is like obviously very different but like it's close enough i also have a similar problem with german i like Mm. i've been a german person in a play a couple of times and i just have to learn it by rote you know what i mean i just have to look at the sounds and like learn exactly how to say this thing i cannot improvise as a german person uh and i think it's just because like the vocal placement is kind of similar to english Anyways.
1: yeah I, I was in a, I was in Australia for a month back when I was like 14, I want to say 14, 15 um, over the summer and I made it a point to pick up as much of the the accent as I could then. <laughs> and I was really obnoxious uh, sophomore year in high school doing that a lot and then I realized, okay Nick, this isn't the coolest thing you've ever done.
2: I would have loved it had I been uh, a sophomore with you in high school. Yeah, Very
1: kind, but that's gone for me now. Now mine is like, I can't do an English accent. I can't do Australian. I just do a horrible accent. (laughs) I think that's a country somewhere um, because I I certainly do it well. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I want to kind of go back. I think there's something specific about the Australian accent. Like the vowels have to be in the back of your mouth.
2: Yeah, And
1: and it's, uh, I want to. I want to go just to study it again. I don't care about the entire country. I just want to go and sit there and listen to people long enough to get that back.
2: I'll do either. I'll do both. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just like both, both Scottish and and Cockney are sort of in the back of the throat and I'm just so familiar with those. But oh, for sure, yeah. I mean anything like I love to I had a I had an audition last December um to do a like super strong Long Island accent, which I had never done before. So I just kind of like immersed myself and like figured out what the vocal placement was and by the end i was like this is
1: killing it. Awesome. Yeah, no, no problem. Yeah. So, uh, only, somebody
2: just tell me that I need to be Australian.
1: <laughs> so, I do have a slight Brooklyn accent. It comes out at times. Hmm. I, I've been told that, which is, which is very rare, is that when I'm actually upset at someone, it comes out. Um, because, essentially, whenever someone was upset when I was younger, it was a Brooklyn accent. <laughs> so, you know, that's when it is revealed. But it's, been, it's so, like, I don't know, maybe once a year, maybe, I'm actually really riled up and upset at someone. Um, You're such a nice guy. Well, it, there's no reason to be upset. I don't know. It doesn't. It does. It does nothing to be yelling back at someone.
2: Doesn't you know? actually help things. It's true. Right. It makes That's things worse,
1: true. and you, you'll find that people match your uh, your emotions a ton. So if you are not, you know, a lot of people will yell at you, hoping to see you match it to kind of validate them. And if you don't, then it just becomes really weird and awkward, and that's what you want when it's. <laughs>
2: that's over. actually what you want to diffuse yeah. those situations. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Like, awkwardness is a beautiful
1: thing. Let's embrace oh, it more.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm a great fan of the like the comedy of the awkward, for oh, sure. Yes. Oh, it's amazing. Maybe I mean, it's because it's the jokes. only comedy I really have access to in <laughs> any way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're selling yourself short. And speaking of selling yourself short, I've cut you off here because you've you know you just started talking about what you do, and you really didn't get to continue. I mean, so you have a a poetry book, you have uh, your bull on CBS, and you you start in Homeland, but there's so much more than that. Is there
2: so much more? Of course I there mean, is. I, yes. Ellen. I also I also mentioned the sinner, I think. Uh, and oh, right. yep. um, and I've had a sort of a smaller. Recurring roles. I was on six episodes of Billions. Um, That was fun. And a couple of episodes of Veep, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. And it was already one of my favorite shows when I was on it. So I was very, very excited. It was also actually... hmm, It was my first recurring role. So that was also... uh, I still remember the, the first day that I was shooting. I was a reporter. That's always... That's what I'm most likely to be as a reporter. And uh, and like, you know, it was all fine. And you look at the tape and actually like it doesn't look like I don't enjoy swimming in that water. But my heart was pounding the entire time. And there are times when I'm like, oh, God, have I grown at all as an actor? And then I look back and I'm like, oh, no, I remember when I was so afraid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, the. Uh, One of the other larger recurring roles that I've had was on the NBC miniseries called The Slap, um, which few people have seen, uh, but was also, I think, a very formative experience for me um, in terms of, uh, yeah, I guess just really learning what it was like to be on a big set in a big role with like really nice big movie stars basically you know what that's like and uh, I think all the time Ken Olin uh, is one of my favorite directors that I've ever worked with and he uh, the very first scene that I was shooting with him he gave me this note which is I think particularly funny for anybody who like might happen to follow Ken Olin on Twitter and know what his politics are but he was like okay okay that was great but I think your character might be a Republican. And I was like, oh. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, that's like that's just a different worldview. That's just a right, different right. like way that I view other people. So sure. And uh, since that time, and this perhaps goes back to um, being a mean white lady, uh, I, I have noted that like a number of the parts that I play are like either definitely or probably Republicans. <laughs> so I don't know that I'm homesick for the part of myself that is a Republican, <laughs> but like maybe I am. I don't know. Oh, man, Um, I do.
1: So I'm going to steer away
2: from that if that's okay. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) that's totally fine.
1: (laughs) But um, so outside of even the acting world, I I mean, I've been seeing you doing lots of stuff. I've seen you on MLB Network. Um, I've seen you. You're writing now. You also have a podcast with your husband. Indeed. can you tell us all about those things?
2: Sure. Um, so, yeah, I perhaps the simplest thing to talk about first is the podcast with my husband. We have a podcast uh, called Take Me Into the Ball Game, um, in which we grade baseball movies on the 20 to 80 scouting scale used for baseball prospects, because that's Love what that. God intended, so clearly. And, yeah, <laughs> we've been doing it for over a year now, which is sort of crazy. Um, but there's so many baseball movies and other baseball media. We'll also do, uh, you know, uh, TV episodes and uh, the occasional cartoon. We did Baseball Bugs. And so, yeah, Wait, we... Baseball it, Bugs? You I, must know I, the cartoon I Baseball Bugs. This. I don't know this at all. <gasps> oh, well, just just Google it. It's like, eight, I mean, n- not right now. Or, I mean, right now. You can, <laughs> Excuse me, uh,
1: Ellen. I'm sorry. I've got places to be. I got to watch me some baseball bucks. Right I mean, you now. do
2: actually. Yeah. It's like seven <laughs> minutes. It's seven minutes. Okay. So yeah, you just Google it and you'll find it. It's delightful. I'm not going to uh, spoil anything else about sure. it for it, you. Okay. But it, wait,
1: what is, is the target audience?
2: I mean, it's, it's a cartoon from the, I don't know, like 19, I don't, I have a hard time remembering exact numbers. It's from the late 1940s. So the target audience oh, wow. is probably children from the 1940s. And it's um, not
1: actually like insects. Is it? Is it Bugs?
2: Is it? Actual oh bugs? no, no, no. Oh, no. Yeah, no, there are no Bugs. It's it's Bugs okay. Bunny.
1: Oh, oh, okay. No, oh now I understand. Right. I've yes. seen many baseball clips with Bugs Bunny doing. I'm baseball sure things. you've okay.
2: seen it. Yes. Now because... this makes
1: sense. I'm literally thinking like a lady bird a lady ladybug and uh, you know, praying mantis, having a wonderful time in some tall stalks of grass.
2: I mean, yeah. I I would that. I would watch Bugs playing baseball any day. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Definitely would watch that. No, it's it's I'm sure I I, that's what I think why I was stunned that you hadn't seen it. Like, I just feel like every time a pitcher has a terrible inning, somebody will be using the gif of like the gas house gorillas basically doing a conga line around the bases. That's from baseball bugs. So good. Right, right,
1: right. And he throws pitches that stop and then continue. And and he's being the outfielder and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: All right. Yeah, so I had a I had a difficult time with that because my favorite my favorite tool to score in our podcast is always um the baseball accuracy score. Sure, yeah. And uh excuse me, baseball accuracy mm-hmm. tool. And uh and that was hard because very often I talk about how physics accuracy is baseball accuracy, but for a cartoon, right. like what do I allow and what do I not allow? Sure. So, yeah, basically, I I decided that I was going to set to put by the wayside the fact that uh, physics accuracy is, base, is baseball accuracy for a cartoon because cartoons like have their own physical laws. But other things like it is not baseball accurate that the Gas House Gorillas have However, many players that they have on their team in order to do a conga line all the way around the bases, like that it's got to right? be like forty-five players or something like that. And like, yes, there were expanded rosters after World War II, <laughs> but not that much. Now, so, I think
1: the question in everybody's mind is: Did you go to Derek Cardy to get the the rights to call it the Bat? Um, that is the bats, of course, the baseball accuracy tool.
2: Oh no, I did not. Well. I mean, Uh-oh. he's a
1: friend of the show, so I gotta, I gotta call him.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean no. we've we've been we've been doing that for uh, I guess like over a year now. It's copyright infringement, I guess. I mean, yeah. we're not making any money off of it, <laughs> so uh, obviously. Um, not.
1: But um, you just gotta well, call we'll, something we'll be- like um, you know, baseball accuracy tool extra or something like that. They don't have anything on Bat X that doesn't exist <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, but uh, okay, so as you're doing this with your with your husband, um, you're saying you have these movies from a scale of 20 to 80, right? Love it, of course. Um, what have been the highest scored, uh, I guess, movies or or shows that you've uh, you reviewed?
2: Well, I think you know, obviously, there there are plenty of films that will have a, a high, one high scoring tool and another not as high. So yes, in some ways, I could say, oh well, these are these are the highest scoring amount of baseball tools and these are the highest scoring like a delightfulness of catcher right tool etc well,
1: but delightfulness the of catcher tool that's a wonderful tool of course
2: you gotta so have necessary. it necessary yeah so necessary <laughs> i'm always in love with the catcher character um so uh i mean i think probably the highest scoring all around it might be sugar uh it's a film oh, yeah yes Yes, yeah, by Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck um from 2008 to 2009 and it's just oh god it's just such a good film. It's really not it's really more of like a story about the immigrant experience than it is a a baseball movie. Yeah. You know, it's it's amount of baseball is sort of front loaded um which I don't know, I don't want to spoil anything, but the The baseball accuracy is superb, and mm. the storytelling is superb. and the acting is so good. and the filmmaking, everything about it is just excellent. So it's a yeah, human I think film, that's
1: and baseball yeah. is a human sport. so yeah, it's it's perfect. Sugar is is a phenomenal film, very underrated. Ben Palmer put out, I think his ranking of the best baseball movies. I think he put that maybe as one one or two. He put it very high up there yeah um, and I love that he did. So, yeah, that's a great, I think great it's
2: call. it's the most objectively good. yeah I have obviously, I think I just have a real fondness for like baseball movies that are baseball movies, sure. like a league of their own bull Durham oh, yeah. et cetera well,
1: okay, so um, so I got a
2: gripe with Bill Durham. I've said this before. I don't it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I might not actually we well, haven't we've been saving it for the pod podcast. and I so see. I um, I mean, is this? this Tim Robbins pitched pitching delivery? <laughs> oh
1: no 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 nothing along those lines that's all fun stuff and 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 the, and the scenes in the movie that are about baseball like the meat on the mound they talk about what gift they should give I love that it's it's amazing. the best but the whole movie is just about having sex with Susan Sarandon That's that's all Bull Durham is and it's just like I was so surprised I hadn't seen Bull Durham I think until the beginning of quarantine I finally sat oh. down and watched it because everyone had talked about it being the best baseball film for so long and it just, it felt, I don't know, it was, it was underwhelming for me. I was like, wait, wait, I thought this was supposed to be everything about baseball. And it was about, no, it was just Susan Sarandon at the center of all of it. And it just felt like baseball was the on the side to everything else there. I was a little disappointed.
2: Yeah, I get that. I mean, I... Honestly, I saw that movie when I was a child, which I don't know if it's a movie for a child to see. So, like, I've essentially... And I've I've seen it since then. It's just been a while. But, like, I accept that it is what it is. But I understand that. I think particularly because it's so many people's favorite baseball movie that then if you're going there expecting a baseball movie to be about baseball, uh, then, yeah, I can see being disappointed. But it sounds to me like you had... A sort of a similar impetus to our podcast, which actually it started not because we were like, let's make a podcast. It started because there was no baseball to watch. And I grew up without a television. And so oh, wow. I, uh, yes, I never had a television until 2010. Hilarious. So you had right? to
1: act your own drama then?
2: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, I, as I, as I, as I was growing up, like Shakespeare was the thing, hmm. so um, so uh, there are so many baseball movies that I had not seen, and I was like, well, we should just watch baseball movies. And then it was uh, it was Eric's idea. He was like, what if we had a podcast where we talked about the baseball movies that we watched. And I said, only if we grade them on the 20 to 80 scouting scale used for baseball prospects. Amazing. <laughs> so that's so the, good. yes, the genesis of, uh, of our, of our silly take me into the ball game podcast. Now,
1: now on the other side of it, I do need to ask what, what got a lot of twenties on this scout, maybe thirties. The bench no warmers. One. The bench warmers. Oh, that that's the sword one, isn't it? Like the, uh, the pitching ninja sword, uh, phrase comes from that movie
2: no really
1: you know david spade he's swinging and it's i think that's that movie right david spade and um chris, yeah uh, chris uh, uh, <laughs> oh no who's the guy that's uh rob schneider thank you rob who's schneider that? yes and he John turns into a carrot in yeah. a stapler um right rob <laughs> schneider is in that yeah there's a scene where david spade swings and he swings like he's chopping a sword ah and, and they say don't swing at it like it's a sword And that's where Rob Freeman used that. And that's why anyone that does a check swing and not a proper swing is a
2: sword. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, I saw, I see the sword and I was just like, that means something to somebody for some reason. Um, my, my dog is very uh, upset at me that I didn't know that that's what it meant because she knew what it was meant. would have meant the whole time. And she was beforehand. like, uh, yeah. all the time that we've spent looking at Pigeon Ninja <laughs> gifts and you didn't even know that that's where that came from. Yeah. I mean, Ed is also terrible um but i actually oh
1: ed oh my god oh but man. i
2: actually feel like the benchwarmers is worse mm-hmm. so, um so what, which m- what is it about might it that's be just- a controversial take okay so um, what is it yeah that, that i really think i was you. actually uh well i think some of it was that i didn't think i knew ed was going to be very bad and i didn't think that the benchwarmers was going to be as bad as ed sure um. So as we often talk about expectation, this is so much of our experience of life. Absolutely, um, yeah. But uh, I think one of the things I think the notion that you could play baseball with three people actually made me more angry than the notion that you could play baseball with that a chimpanzee could play third base.
1: Wait a second. I have never seen bench warmers, by the way. I, I have no idea what the plot is. I just keep know it that Schneider way. And David Spader, Spader in this. And Your life so is worth
2: from. so much more. <laughs> Mabel well, I agrees. Feel,
1: I feel like I need to have the knowledge base of, of knowing maybe this baseball movie. And you're telling me they play baseball with three people. That is. Yes. That include the catcher and pitcher.
2: Yes. It, so made one me, person it made in the me, in made me, yes, it made me so mad. I was is like, it, this is not, you can't, what? you can't do this. You can do whipple ball. I, I mean, yes, yeah. it's true. Like you can do practice drills, but like you can't, you can't play, you can't play baseball how with three does, people. How and does can't. this work? I mean, I was like, you need, you need a, a minimum of, of like, Six. Yeah, you I was going to say mean? six
1: too. You need two in the outfield, two in the infield, a pitcher and a catcher, right?
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you three is really no, 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 no. And so things for me when like there are baseball accuracy issues that are just like super fundamental, and then uh, that I think it's actually a mean spirited movie. It, it's hmm. like the idea is that it's like, well, we, th- they're grown ups and, they're like, were bullied when they were kids. And so now they're forming this weird team of three people, but actually they're just sort of using it to bully kids. And there's, I don't know, this whole moment where Rob Schneider goes, like, we learn that actually we think he was bullied, but he was the bully and he he goes back to apologize to this kid that he bullied so much that the kid, like, had to go into... A mental facility or something like that. Oh I, I'm not quite remembering. And so we're the, supposed
1: to be sympathetic to Rob Schneider. Y- yes. And then, and then
2: basically her. he's just like, Hey, I'm sorry I did that. And then like, that's the turning point of the oh movie. No. And I'm just like, no dude. And also this was so many years ago. Like if you were both eight year old kids And one kid was upset about it and the other kid came to the kid's house and was like, hey, look, I'm sorry, that was really mean of me to do like maybe then that's a sufficient apology. But like it also. Oh, gosh. I mean, everything about it, the way that it portrays the kid who was bullied as like living in his mom's basement and like in a in a fort like it just. uh, Yeah, it was I think that was I think that was what really why I think the Benchwarmers is worse than ed is because i don't think that there's anything there's some weird tonal things with ed like is that joke for a kids movie or is that joke for an adult movie like but yeah there's um there's a lot there's a lot that's like sort of mean-spirited to me secretly in the benchwarmers i don't know in that sort of like early I don't remember exactly when it came out, but I was about to just like cast all of the sort of early 2000s comedy, like mean spirited comedy in one bucket. But yeah, it just has that vibe to it. We're just like all of the other things that are wrong with it. Um, you know, it makes it so hard to excuse. Right. So so Ed wasn't damaging. It wasn't. Uh, I mean, it bad. was. It was it was damaging, yes. Was like it? there it, were parts it was of the movie the wrong
1: message. That's even, what I mean. yes,
2: it wasn't sending the okay. wrong message, but there were parts of the movie, even the first time that we watched it, where I just had to look away. I was just oh, like, no. I can't, I can't watch this, I can't.
1: So okay, so this is really entertaining for me because I I forgot these movies existed. I've never seen them, uh, and so Ed, from what I remember from the trailer, I think way back when. It's essentially a, a gorilla, right?
2: It's a who, chimpanzee.
1: Chimpanzee, I apologize. Uh, you chimpanzee. haven't seen the
2: movie, so it's not yeah. you know who speciesist if like, you like
1: it's the <laughs> it's the air bud uh with a chimpanzee.
2: Yes, and, I haven't seen air bud seventh team. inning fetch, but I from <laughs> what <laughs> Is I that know uh, that name it's yes. on the list. <laughs> yes, it's on the list, of course it's on the list. <laughs>
1: seventh inning fetch. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, I'm I mean, sure you could do more puns than that one, but that's, that's pretty, that's, wow, that's rich.
2: Okay. Yeah. My, my favorite, like, philosophical conundrum, I haven't seen any of the Airbud movies actually, is Airbud as a soccer player. Because, and I, this is, I, this is not a joke that I made up myself. I, I read this in an article that was like breaking down, the sort of problems with all of the earbuds love
1: to read this article. That's I
2: wish. I mean, I read read this so many years ago that I'm not sure I can put my (laughs) hands on it, but I will try to find it for you. And basically they were like, how do we think a dog wears pants? If you think a dog (laughs) wears pants just over its back legs, that's, I think how we'd all agree that a dog would wear pants. That means that the dog's front paws are actually hands. And so therefore the dog cannot Like propel the soccer ball with its front paws. Um, If instead we draw a dog, where basically somehow it's wearing pants over all four of its legs that just come up like halfway to its body, then it can touch the soccer ball. But I think we all agree that that's not how a dog wears pants.
1: So wait. So we Um, need to we need to get Airbud in uh, a onesie essentially. Uh, Yeah, but then
2: it's a onesie and not pants. You know, mm, like yeah, 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 yeah. So. It's a, real, it's a real, it's a real problem.
1: We're really rooted in the apparel. You
2: know? I mean, when you're dealing with canines, apparently <laughs> they are. Yeah.
1: So this, this actually reminds me of a, I, uh, um, I don't know if you know this. Okay. Well, my, um, like an old joke is, you know, they have made so many land before times. So you think they'd be at time by now. And <laughs> there's, I, I think my dad said that. I don't know. Um, and it's a good dad joke. I remember, right. It's where do you think I get it from? Um, I saw an article breaking down the Land Before Time movies where just how ridiculously dumb each one was. And someone sat through all of them with their kids uh, and just reported on it. And I remember, I mean, I've read this like 15 years ago or something. This was the funniest. I had it bookmarked for ages about it. And there's just something so special about watching the worst made of films and, and just breaking down the, the irrationality of mm-hmm. emotions and events. It's something, I don't know, like, you, I'm sure you've seen The Room. Uh,
2: I haven't, actually. Oh my,
1: Ellen, I do a screening every year for this movie. Uh, it, is, it's, it makes me so happy with how terrible The Room is. Um, it, it's 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 marvelous. I, mean, I would love sure to
2: attend the screening. Is. If I, I yes, I know of it. So, I mean, having grown up without a television, it is um I I gleaned the skill of like f- cultural osmosis, you know what I mean? So, yeah. like even if I hadn't seen a television show, still knowing basically what the show was about and who the people were. So, yes, there are many things that I know by reputation even if I haven't seen them.
1: Oh my god. It is
2: but I, I mean, would love to attend your screening. Oh,
1: absolutely! I'll send. I'll send it out. It's in September every single year. Great. Uh, one of the four regular parties that happen in normal times when it's not COVID. Uh, and I mean, I, I, there. Okay, so there's an actor in this film that quit halfway through, and they just replace the actor, and they don't explain anything. And all of a sudden, there's this random person who's. you know, There's two people arguing. That's really big dramatic moment. And there's this guy that just goes, "I agree." And you are like, who are you, buddy? I I don't know. I don't know who you are. And it, this is the the absurdity of the film. It just it just does this stuff, and it's amazing. He makes scotch and vodka as his favorite drink.
2: It's called oh, scotchka. I don't. And I don't. Don't do that. Just drink no. a scotch and then drink a vodka, like or it's, vice versa. I
1: I can't I can't express enough of this film without giving away the the magic of it. Um, if you haven't seen the room, and I don't mean room, by the way, uh, yes, that's a, a different people. film. Very vastly different emotion watching each film. Um, yeah, it, it's just there's some glory in these terrible films. So I want to watch Ed. I kind of want to watch Seventh Inning Fetch.
2: <laughs> I mean, we're gonna have to watch it at some point. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah.
1: It's yeah, and okay. So have you seen Trouble with a the Curve then too?
2: No, I'm. Yeah, we're. We're we're saving that one for some time when we have more like mental and spiritual fortitude yeah. than we have at present. Okay. It's been it's been uh, it's yeah.
1: So I haven't, I haven't seen this, but I did read Ben Palmer's article, and he had to give an honorable mention to how bad this was. Uh, and I think the line was um, Amy Adams's character is in like a diner and overhears that Yair Jurgens threw a no hitter. Okay. And I don't know if you remember Yair yeah, yeah, or, or whatever. He threw a no-hitter, apparently. She turns around, like, what? That's impossible. He's a sinker baller that lives on the edges. What? Have you ever heard of Henderson Alvarez? <laughs> what do you think he did to earn his no-hitter? <laughs> exactly that. I mean, it, it's like they threw just random, you know, this is Ben talking, but it was like, they're just throwing, you know, random baseball terms that they know. And as if, like, see, a baseball movie, ta-da. Yep. And. I don't know if like I could sit through that one because this would, that would be actively hurt. You know,
2: I'm really afraid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also, you know, I mean, I think one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life is the babe.
1: Oh, that was up there too.
2: It's just joylessly terrible. It's Mm. just, uh, and, and like, perhaps when we do that movie, we will, we will be able to make joy because i do think that like our episodes on ed and on the Benchwarmers warmers are very fun like i like to think that our episodes about good movies are also fun but it's true that like when the movie is bad or even just sort of like borderline problematic like i love our episode on the fan because like what a crazy movie um uh it, that Yeah, so our episode on the babe like, might be great. Our episode on Trouble with the Curve, like, probably definitely better than the movie itself. And I can say that even though we haven't recorded it yet. Um, but it's still, it's still like, we still have to watch the movies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I could just see you furiously, like, pausing and writing angry notes the entire time uh, in preparation. I mean, that, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah.
2: Uh, what there there are definitely there are so many weeks when I'm just like, w- what have we done to ourselves? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's all for the content. It's all for the people, and that's what acting yeah. is, right? It's all for them. It is,
2: yeah, it is. It's for other it other people's enjoyments.
1: So, so definitely give this podcast a listen, on uh, If you want to plug that one more time,
2: sure. It's called uh, "Take Me Into the Ball Game," and if you because those are words that you find in a lot of other cases if you search take me into the ball game and my name ellen adair a-d-a-a-r or my husband's name eric Gildy g-i-l-d-e that will um make it perhaps easier for you to find it but we're on all of the all of the podcast platforms wonderful
1: so. definitely give that a listen and you've also started writing this year i noticed
2: yes um well actually i'm not sure i know what you mean you noticed
1: uh, I, I think turf uh oh
2: Yes. Yeah,
1: turf sports, I
2: believe. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, I, I, you were kind enough to mention, like you've been on MLB Network and like you're on the, the other podcasts and stuff because like that, have. which is, um, which is wonderful and uh, often strange to me because I just feel like a you know normal layperson that people are asking me to talk about baseball and it's great um, because
1: you know so much about it, of course. <laughs>
2: That's very, that's very kind, especially for you, the sensei to say, um, okay, no, no, but we're
1: going to ax that name. That's not,
2: I thought you okayed that name. I was like, it's that or dad. And like, oh, well, right?
1: Okay, so you gave it, you know, you made it a tough call there.
2: <laughs> I, uh, I like it. I think, I think it's appropriate. Um, so I'm just going to go with it. Uh, sensei, thank you very much. Um, All right. uh-huh. so uh, yes, that's very kind of you to say, but I I do, uh, I, I, I don't know. It just, it sort of feels like I'm still an actor just uh, playing a baseball analyst a lot of times. Um, and I like, I, well, I do know how it happened, but it's a sort of like hilarious and uh, circuitous way in which it did, I suppose. Um, so I have been, I had been writing for The Turf. Um, for actually, when did I, uh, I, I started writing when the Phillies signed Bryce Harper was like around the time, um, that I started writing for them, but I was writing more last year because like I had more time to write and, um, it's, uh, it's, I had, I think a, a difficult time fitting that into the symbiosis of my other writing, um, which has been something that I have been very much focusing on this past year, Um, but I'm writing a novel, and that is mostly what, like, my mental and spiritual writing energies have gone to, and I'm also working on a couple of uh, television shows, like spec television shows, not something that anybody is, like, making or interested uh, in. But, like, yes, I'm, I'm writing them, and I, you know, I just... I have so many ideas for movies that I want to write, and so I am taking actually a little pause uh, from working with the turf. Um, I had written over the uh, over the holidays. I had written um, the twelve days of free agent relief pitchers because, like, of course. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's also that sort of comes to the uh, the very issue for me, which is perhaps. Evident for anybody who's been listening to this podcast, which is that it's very difficult for me to be brief. Uh, so the 12 days of free agent relief pitchers was originally supposed to be one article about the like relief pitching market. And I found I could not do that at all. And so instead I was like, great, so I'll write 12. And then it was actually 13 articles. And I had a great time doing that. But part of the reason that it was even possible was because I did it over the holidays and I did not have any auditions because when I get an audition, everything else has to go away like yeah. everything else is gone like all non essential personnel are sent home and like my entire life is just working on that audition until i um until i have taped that audition and like sent it off so that can be i guess challenging for uh, wanting to do a sort of like timely writing project, like writing about baseball, um, sure. because my life is not my own to predict. And with things sort of, uh, you know, TV and film ramping up a little bit more, I yeah. I, I personally, I've been like, and I'm so grateful for it, absolutely mentally run ragged by the number of auditions that I've had recently. Like, praise be to God. Um, yeah, but, But yes, like baseball is it's almost like it started out for me as, well, obviously I've loved baseball my entire life. So it started out for me as like, yeah, I love baseball. But in terms of like going further and further into my baseball fandom, it was actually a selfish thing. It was like, I need something that is just for me. And like, it's not productive. And I, I just sit and enjoy it. And Because everything else that I do, um, obviously my like career, which I could easily spend 48 hours a day on and still not have devoted enough time to it. And also writing is something that you could also devote 48 hours a day to it and not have spent enough time to it. So like that is, I just needed something that I was like, this is, I'm just enjoying this. Like I'm not, I'm not creating anything and so, of course, eventually what I do is like start writing about baseball and like have a baseball podcast. <laughs> um So, yeah, I think that it's I've been I've been struggling, I feel like uh, this spring more so than ever. And I don't know if that's just because with things sort of like shutting down for the pandemic, I got so used to having a lot of time and now we're all like wait what what happens if i just don't have like 24 hours a day to do whatever i want so yeah i've been i've been kind of like struggling with that with that balance i guess and like obviously i want to just have a whole other life where i just devote 24 hours a day to watching baseball and thinking about baseball and writing about baseball but it's hard to figure out how to do that and all the other things
1: well you need balance and everything right there's a yeah I have I have five mantras and one of them is everything in moderation Hmm. Uh, and uh, and here I am saying that as someone that does spend most of their days doing just baseball. The third mantra is there are always exceptions. So there you go. (laughs) I
2: mean, it's a great, it's a great existence. (laughs) Like I'm super, I'm just super happy when I'm thinking about baseball 24 hours a day. Like, but, then I would just be that one person. And the number one requirement for me is like, must be other people sometimes. Yeah, sure. So I have to like, you know, put in the work to be the other people. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's a, that's a good thing though. Um, something I've certainly, and I know it's very odd to hear. I, but for example, for the weekends for me, I have to remove myself from baseball a lot. Uh, because, there's so many amazing things out there. It's part of the reason why you know we're doing this podcast is because yes, people are involved in this fantasy baseball community, but we are people with all these other things going on. That's just one segment of of our mm-hmm. lives, and not everything about it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, if it was just that, well, no. That we're we have so many things we enjoy and we do, and that we're you know our crafts of or. And uh, what well, we have are craftsmen of I don't know, mm-hmm. bad English, yeah, I'm
2: going no, it was yeah. great. I loved it all. <laughs> I loved every word uh, of it..
1: But, sensei. Okay, all right, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> dial this back a little bit right now. Um, so I mean, you you mentioned before that you didn't have a TV until 2010, but you're a giant Phillies fan. Mm-hmm. So how were you watching games and enjoying them? Was it just the radio before and going to games?
2: Uh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's the, that's the short answer of it. And I mean, I will also, I'll be honest that like, I just did not used to consume baseball in the way that I consume baseball now. Like I have have been, have been a baseball fan my whole life, but you know, I was living in Boston and uh, it was far easier to consume Red Sox baseball, which is part of the reason why like, I, I, I like the Red Sox. I mean, (laughs) Uh, uh, I don't know if I've shared this fact with you. I was raised in a fundamentalist hatred of the Yankees. Um, uh, I see. Yeah, so I understand
1: why you want to hold that I s- look.
2: I, I still love you. I still love you so much. Um, like, I can, you know, like, love this in or hate this in is really my attitude okay, about I Yankees understand. Spending. It
1: wasn't a choice. You know, you you were forced and indoctrined into that. And, you know, if you had a choice like I did, you know, you would have made yourself happy and be a Yankee so... <laughs>
2: Yeah, I understand, um, you know, it's, it's all so crazy. it was pretty easy for me to, uh, to like fall into, you know, Red Sox land. Um, sure. I was like, oh, yeah, I can totally get behind this. Um, so, uh, so yes, I do have a, a continued affection for the Red Sox. Um, I mean, although it's like, this is why I have a complex flowchart of baseball allegiances. Like the Phillies above all. Sorry, so the a, Phillies a
1: complex. I want to see this this flowchart. I know it doesn't exist, but I want to actually exist. I really hope.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, it's constantly changing. Um. But yeah, it's basically like deciding who I'm rooting for in any given matchup right. because I always can. You know, I can just turn on some game and be like, "Well, this is the team that I'm." Sandy yeah. Alcantara
1: is right there. <laughs> <laughs> I- yeah.
2: Yeah, except for the Marlins are pretty low on the flow chart for me okay, because right, they you know what? freaking own the Phillies. I mean, a, a lot of it is. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't. I mean, also they're owned by Jeter, but like that's a guess and reason that you would like them. Okay, so it's wouldn't. kind
1: of funny. As Yankee fans, we are kind of upset at Jeter
2: now. It's weird. it's,
1: it's this weird thing. I don't hmm. get it. But uh, but this is what I'm talking about. There's, you're saying the Marlins are low on the flow chart. I mean, I can. I know this whole thing exists. (laughs) I know it's there and I'm so curious to see all of it. I mean, and I'm imagining too with the Phillies, it's not just, oh, they share the same colors as the Red Sox. Clearly, I'm going to jump into that. There's so much more than that. Oh,
2: yeah. No, I mean, it's like, you know, I went to Boston University, so I was right there and I lived in Boston for seven years. It was a long time. And, you know, some of them were like very key years to be there. But you grew up I was there in in 2004. So, I grew up in Philly and Bloomington, Indiana. Gotcha. Okay. So, but there's, you know, there's... So, like, I was still a... uh, I was still a Phillies fan, even though I was in Bloomington, Indiana. But... And I think that this is, honestly, probably key to the existence of the complex flowchart of baseball allegiances, which is that (laughs) both of my parents are huge baseball fans, but they both have this belief in... Like, love of baseball above all. So, yes, we have our team, but like we can admire other players and other teams doing well. We can even be like, oh, I like this team right now because of these players that I really love. Like, this is very central to my dad's baseball fandom. And so it is how I was raised. I am an acolyte of Loba. Okay. Love, uh, love, uh, uh, baseball, love of baseball above all.
1: Yes, yeah, there it is. I had it before. Yeah, it's Loba, right? That's Loba, L O B A A.
2: Yeah, love I want I want football. that on a yes. shirt, but like the love sign from Philadelphia, but like Loba. Ah. Yeah,
1: but and it's a baseball though. We can't we can't favor a team if we have. Oh, I
2: right? mean, it's it's true. I guess I, like I just thought of that statue we can, we can because it's four it. letters and okay. like i'm from philadelphia so i That's think about that statue point. i wasn't thinking about it being like a phillies it's, it's, it's a very it's a
1: very good point though I, maybe we can talk to some people we can we can maybe make this happen and then of yeah course, then I you just
2: to, you like, have all oh, you you just do the tilted o then there it is you're there um, yeah
1: maybe lisa loba and then uh <laughs> <laughs> loba and now this is really stupid stuff so i'm gonna keep uh, going here. i adore you, you um you are in indiana
2: so here I am in Indiana. So, I mean, even at the time, I was like, Frank Thomas, like, I think I like the White Sox also. So uh, it wasn't That's great. I mean, uh, like, He's how so can good. you not? love?
1: Frank I know. Thomas? It's like, he was just such a good
2: dude. Such a you know? good dude. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. I just like when I when I think about anything about Frank Thomas, I'm just filled with joy. Right. Um. So. For yes, I think for that reason, perhaps if I just like lived in Philadelphia my entire life and not also been sort of uh, forced to confront the idea of like just going to Chicago and not seeing the Phillies. Obviously, we would go to Cincinnati to see the Phillies, um, but that I could enjoy I could enjoy any any baseball played by anybody Um and so that's, I think why it was pretty easy when I was in Boston to just be like, oh, well, the Red Sox are right here and they're the people who are on the local radio and on the TV. And so like, I'm going to follow them. And um, so it really wasn't until honestly, I moved to New York, which was just around the same time, probably like MLB TV and MLB audio. So this was 2009 that I moved to New York. Um w- Probably they existed before then. I didn't know about them before then, but that was the time that I discovered right them. Around then.
1: Yeah, that was, that was, it was right then. I think maybe, maybe like 2007, 2008, but yeah, you, you got right at the beginning.
2: So, uh, so then I was like, oh my gosh, I can listen to the Phillies from anywhere. And so, uh, and of course that was like a good time to be listening to the Phillies. And, uh, it was, you know, I I think that like, that's why my consumption of baseball in general and also of like Phillies baseball in particular is been has been much greater because so much of the rest of my life, I was like, I'm a Phillies fan, but I don't live in the market. And so it's actually harder to get the games and it's harder to get the news and all of that stuff.
1: And and so you were in New York in 2009. I was, Oh man, I'm so sorry.
2: I was like, everything my mom told me about Yankees fans is true. (laughs) I was like in a bar by myself, like getting just, you know, because I just uh, moved here and like getting yelled at by Yankees fans. I was yeah. like, I am a lone non-male person. Like, just leave me alone yeah, to be I'm sad.
1: So, so, so here's the thing. <laughs> this is what I, what I say often about Yankee fans is it's such a large city and any fan base has a certain proportion that just suck. Right? I mean... But-
2: I am a is, Phillies fan, so I know yeah. this to be okay, true. Right?
1: Yeah, your Crisco on your light post, regardless if they win or lose. I understand this. Yeah. So I, you know, so because New York is such a large place, that percentage is just a larger volume, and generally, the fans that suck are louder than the ones that don't. Invariably, so there's just there is just more of them, and it's yeah. it's really annoying because. I would say at their heart, Yankee fans are just like any other fans, you know, the majority of it. But it's just that we have a larger minority and they are obnoxious. You know, there's a Yo. there's a there's a game I remember going to Red Sox Yankees when I was like, I don't know, eight years old, nine years old with my dad. And we still make fun of it, of some like two guys just endlessly just shouting, Red Sox suck the entire game to the point that I, you can start seeing them try to scream it out. And they start to do it, and then they stop and pull their hands close instead of shouting it. And then they shout it one more time. He points his front to your man and told him, Red Sox suck. Like, we still do this. We still make fun of these guys over 20 years later. And it's, it, yeah. So I'm sorry you had to deal with that. Um, hey, Chase Utley hit, what, five home runs? All on fastballs right down the middle. But hey, there were still home runs in that series. That was pretty cool
2: yeah I mostly remember Cliff Lee, <laughs>
1: yeah that okay very fair oh, the most nonchalant, amazing catch ever. oh
2: God, what a dream boat <laughs> uh, uh, um yeah, I mean I regards regards being at the game because I think that and I think that if if I were because I'm an actor and so I can imagine any eventuality, if I were course, a Yankees yeah. fan. I think I would be very annoyed that like I had happened to my whole life deeply follow and care about a team that like a whole bunch of people are just bandwagoning on. You know what I mean? Mm. That they're like, they're not real fans. They don't really follow it. They're just like, this is the cool hat to wear. And so I'm going to go to the game armed with like two facts about something and (laughs) just be mad and get drunk. Like that would, if, if so much of the fan base were people who are basically like, Oh, those people are the winners and we always want to be with the winners. And so that's our team. Like that's, that would be very annoying to me. I would be like, I mean, granted, and I'm saying this, like I'm, I'm annoyed with a a large section of, you know, Philadelphia fan base. Um, So I, I know of what I speak, although I do think that Phillies fans are not as bad as Eagles fans. And the two get sort of like lumped together. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Eagles fans are really the hooligans. Like, I don't know, Phillies fans. They're still baseball fans.
1: We're baseball fans. Yes. Sophisticated. I understand.
2: So, um, but I do remember, so I've only ever been to one postseason game in my life. Um, and part of that is because like very often I am working, um, particularly when I was mostly doing theater. So like during the 2008 2008- World Series. I was doing a production of uh, Henry the Fourth, Part One at the Folger Theater in DC, and the so I was the most baseball would, thing
1: you can imagine.
2: The most baseball thing you can imagine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like Prince Hal and Falstaff are out there <laughs> hidden fungos all the time. Yeah, of course. So. Um, <laughs> So I would just like run home. It was in a, an a, like a one house for all of the actors. And we had just one living room with one television set. Um, and I was like, the, the television set is mine after the, after, you know, and people would be like, Oh, I want to watch like queer eye for the straight guy or whatever yeah. it was at that time. And I was like, no, we're watching the end of this game. Like it's non-negotiable. Um, but like, as a result, I don't have great memories of like getting to watch a lot of the 2008 World Series at the time. You know, like mostly I watched a lot of Brad Lidge, like which is, you know, that was fine for that particular year. Um, But like that, particularly when I'm doing a play, it's hard to do a play and like also watch baseball, especially at that time. Now, like. You know, if I am doing a play while it is baseball, I will just studiously avoid spoilers and then go home and like watch it on delay because I can do that. Uh, But yeah, that was not not my capability at the time. Um, So the very first playoff
1: game I remember. Oh, um, I, 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 remember, I was too. like,
2: why yeah, Why yeah. was I selling this? Yeah. I'll still tell my one yeah. playoff game story, but you go yeah, ahead yeah. with yours well, first.
1: I remember when I was like, I think I was, again, like around eight years old. Anytime I think of myself as a child, I was eight. It's just it's just a rule. I was eight years old. It's a good age. Um, yeah, I was, you know, I felt like I was actually being me a sliver at least. And I I remember my mom through, you know, she she worked at Corcoran and had free tickets. Someone had tickets to the Mets game. Mets Braves. So my dad and I went, and I remember our seat so specifically. It was in the middle, so it wasn't you know wasn't in the bleachers or the the um the nosebleeds, but it wasn't field level. And at Shade Stadium, if you had that middle section, if you were in the back, there it was overhang. Mm. So we were in the back. I couldn't we couldn't see like the ball would go in the air, and I couldn't see how high (laughs) it was. You know, we, we couldn't really make out the scoreboard, and I had this just. You know, like a 16 by 9 version or whatever of the game in front of me. <laughs> and we arrived late because my, my mom got these late or whatever. So we arrived at the bottom of the first when the Braves had scored a run on a wild pitch in the first inning. And the game was one to nothing. The Braves won. Oh, gosh. So literally, I saw nothing. I, I, <laughs> it was the most just, what is this game? Why am I here? Baseball experience was my first playoff game, so I didn't go to another for about I don't know fifteen years or something. I but yeah, that that was. If everyone wonders, like, why did they get rid of Shea Stadium?
2: That's Mm, why. That's why
1: those those were absolutely terrible. Bad seats. Gorgeous. It is. It's
2: lovely. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm saying that as a Phillies fan, but it is. It's lovely. (laughs) I mean, you know, like I live in Queens. I live so close to it. It's basically you know my like home ballpark at this point. So there you go. Um, but the one yes. and only playoff game that I've ever been to, this was relatively recently. It would, uh, I'm, you could probably date it, but it was the, uh, Cleveland baseball team, uh, not so called at the time, but versus the Yankees and Trevor Bauer was pitching and, uh, I don't remember who was pitching for the Yankees. I'm sorry. Um, how dare you? I, I yeah, I know. I mean, Cleveland lost the game. And we went, I had just, I had decided like, I've never been to a playoff game. There are playoffs happening in this city and I should go. I couldn't, I could not go um, to any of the games in 2015 because I was in a play at the time, like typical. So, uh, I think this might've been, it was 2016 or 2017. Anyway, I took my fantasy baseball winnings and I purchased us some, uh, playoff tickets and we just went as like non-denominational fans but the amount of vitriol that we got just for not actively being yankees fans i was like i'm never doing this again you know what i mean (laughs) like people like yelling at us and i was like we're not indians fans (laughs) we're just to people here to like watch a playoff game. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not going to do that Sweet. again. It, it made me, it made me feel cause I was also doing a play in 2009. Not that I could have afforded uh, world series tickets at that time, but like, It made me feel better. I was always sad that I like was never able to go to those games. And I was like, I probably would have been miserable. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the give and take like, okay, with that horrible minority of of fans. Right. Though the the balance is the fact that I get to have a good October every year. At least I get to enjoy myself every year. Yeah, I'll take that. And I can just do that from here and not watching in the stadium at times. But then then again, I went to the wild card game with Irvin Santana allowing a three-run homer to Didi Gregorius, and that was one of the greatest moments I've ever been inside a mm. stadium. Uh, and it's stuff like that. It's just... Oh, I miss it. I, I haven't been to a game yet. <gasps> I know. I have to do this. I, I just haven't done it yet. I mean, I got what? vaccinated fully, I guess, like two, three weeks ago, and... I just it hasn't happened yet. I need to do it. Yeah. Have you, got, have you gone? I've been to four games. <laughs> four games? Oh my yes. god. I'm I'm absurdly jealous. How does it feel? Is it like does it really feel as if you're back and like in the full stadium again? I mean, obviously it's not full, but does it have that full experience?
2: Um it I mean, so the the games at uh City Field that I went to were so it was the like it was a doubleheader um, with the the Phillies and the Mets. So that, I guess that... I mean, I'm counting that as two games, but like sure, I lucked into it fine. being two yeah. games. But that was very early in the season, so there were not very many people allowed in the stadium. And what was strange about the experience, though it was lovely, um, Eric and I went with uh, Ariel Cohen and his wife, Robin, and had a great time, um, was... Uh, that they still had the piped in noise oh, the like really? ambient piped in noise and like from behind us and i was like i'm having a hard time hearing the sounds of the actual baseball game because right. of the ambient like crowd chatter um so i don't know uh eric went to a game went to the game on Monday and I was going to go, but I have been sick this week as I'm sure has been abundantly obvious from me doing this podcast. Whatsoever. I'm yeah. Uh, so I'm certainly better than I was on Monday. Um, so I could not go. Uh, so I don't, I, I forgot to interrogate him about whether or not uh, <laughs> they're still doing the piped in crowd sounds. But this past week um, I went to visit my mom sort of like, yay, now we're fully vaccinated. And I saw the Phillies play the Marlins, and then the Phillies play the Red Sox. And that was an example of like, even though I like the Red Sox when they're not playing the Phillies, like when they are playing the Phillies, they are the ultimate enemy, and I want them to fail. (laughs) Absolutely. So so had a great time, and there was no piped-in sound. But there were also more people, it seemed like to me, at Citizens Bank Park. But I think that could be a feature of like, this was just this past week as opposed to like last sure. month. Um it, it So it feels
1: like going to a game though, right? It, it, has that. it
2: did. It sure. It certainly did. Yeah. It like I, it felt like, and I, it's hard for me to parse. What is the experience of like, I got to go to citizens bank park and to be with others, Phillies fans, as opposed to like, I was at a pretty empty city field, like with three Mets fans in my sure. group and like the Phillies lost both games. I mean, the Phillies are over for 4, all the games that I've seen. <laughs> um, classic Phillies. Um, of course. And, uh, and so, yeah, I don't know if it just, I was like, yeah, it felt like a game. Cause like, yay, we were all cheering. Everybody like, let's go Phillies. Clap, 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 clap. Um, uh, versus being all by myself. And also sure. Aaron Nola was not good on that day and I was so sorry so so sad and felt like I had to be not a miserable human being and it was hard
1: (laughs) well it makes me so happy to see you wear the uh, live every day like it's NOLA day shirt
2: I love it so much I
1: feel like I need to update it though I don't know it's this I feel we can do better at nailing it and it's it's been in my head for a while of how to improve it but
2: I mean I think it's pretty great although (laughs) although I mean as of late living every day like it's NOLA day is like live with extreme anxiety
1: (laughs) well okay so then are you are you jumping on into zach wheeler because zach wheeler to me is just oh he's he's, i love zach wheeler so much
2: i mean i i all, all yes i all well I mean, is Zach Wheeler wonderful right now? Yes. Do I love having Zach Wheeler on my team? Yes. Like, do I think he's the better pitcher on the Phillies right now? Yes. Like, is anybody ever replacing Aaron Nola in my heart? No. No. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, to be very clear, and, uh, yeah. Aaron Nola is Bay. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, the last, oh, gosh, it was even, it's, It's very sad because the last start I was not able to actually watch because I was in Philadelphia with my mom. And so we were just like listening to my celebrity crush, Scott Fransky, who is, of course, the best, but like I want to be able to see the pitch locations. So we were looking at the like game day thing and (sighs) it made it sadder actually to just like see, to just, yeah, to just be like, oh, like that is. That's not a safe place for a curveball to be, like walking by itself at this time of night. To Xander <laughs> Bogart, it's like, yeah, you gotta just like carry a whistle with you, curveball. Like oh it's not God. safe. Um, it was very, very, very sad. Uh, yeah, um, and I, uh, I have. I have an audition that I have to tape tomorrow with like 12 pages of sides. And so I'm not honestly sure how much of this start I'm going to get to watch. And I feel really, really, really sad about it. He's
1: got it. Don't worry. <sighs> I, I, I talked to him in my dreams and uh,
2: you too. <laughs> of course. But your talks are with him are probably more productive than my talks.
1: Well, it's just more of hey, trust that curveball. It's all right. You know, and I, uh, and You know, that that change-up, it can be really good. Find out early if you have it. If you don't, it's okay. Just lean heavy on the curve. It's fine. You'll get through this.
2: Yeah. It just, it seems like every single start, it's like a different pitch that isn't working. And yeah. that's what makes me hopeful. You know what I mean? If if like if it was one pitch that like was just like, well, where where did the changeup go? What happened to the changeup? If it was a right. Luis Castillo situation, I mean, it would be a different kind of anxiety. But like every time, I'm like, well, maybe this is the time. And like there have been good starts. You know, there was the complete game shutout versus the Cardinals, but he didn't have his two seamer that day. Yep. So yeah, it, I. It's
1: funny you say it like that because I've said it in the reverse. It's like every single day there's one pitch that is really good. As opposed Mm. to one that's missing. It's always like, okay, at least he has the flexibility to go from, if it's not my curveball today, my changeup will be. Or maybe it's today's my fastball command, right? At least he has that going for him where it's not a Pablo Lopez situation where there's, oh, if he doesn't have the changeup, it's just, well, there isn't really anything else to support him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, Yeah,
2: yeah, you're right. I think mine is. It was actually, even though I was talking about the thing that wasn't working, I think mine was actually the glass half full approach, but like go. you're yeah. right that there have been so many starts where it's like, well, there's really just this one pitch that's working right. it's it, oh man I thought
1: yeah that, that was just funny. It's exactly the same thing um and what you're going and by the way, all, all you made me think of when you were talking about the uh, the stadiums like well, you know, it wasn't the full same and everything's like, oh okay, so you've essentially described what it's like being a Marlins fan, <laughs> uh, and that's you know that's that's an experience yes, then you know But
2: better because
1: because <laughs> they win <laughs> um
2: well i mean i don't uh, every time i watch the marlins they win because i'm a phillies fan so right um uh no i think because you know that it's like limited you know what i mean you're like mm. more people would be here if only they could and sure. also there's something um i don't know why they don't open the roof more often The only time that I have been to a game like at Marlins Park, the roof was closed. Like it was sort of warm, but like a totally reasonable day to sit and watch baseball and to play baseball. And uh, I think it being empty but closed is worse somehow. It makes it feel like more cavernous whereas like if the roof is open you're like well well there aren't very many people in this section of the world but the roof is open and we are just part of the rest of the world so it's okay right um also the dancers the the like cheering squad to no one is they,
1: they have dancers
2: I don't know if they still do. Probably Jeter did away with the dancers, but like when I... I he probably
1: yeah. gave them gift baskets and that would make them leave. <laughs> yes. So sorry.
2: Yeah, with like I don't know, uh, like suntan toner lotion, yeah, um, there you not go. to prevent right. to make it look like you have a suntan. <laughs> I don't know why that's the first thing I imagined would be in a gift basket to a cheerleading Marlins team. But yes, um, another thing that bothers me is that they choose, or at least they did at the time. I want to. S- when did I? I I can't remember how long it was because I'm an old person and I can't remember times, but like it was a while ago. Um, They they chanted, let's go fish. They did the singular clap. They did the like, let's go Mets model of clap, which like. Why would you do that when you have a bisyllabic team name that could very right, easily right. fit into the Let's Go Marlins, clap, 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 clap. Like, Fish? Like, it just, it doesn't sound yeah. inspiring either. Like, Marlins, maybe. But Fish? Like, I just... Of, of all the rem-
1: choices in the Marlins organization over the years, I'd say this is the craziest one. Not, not sending Giancarlo Stanton um, <laughs> away and signing him. Not that atrocity in center field. Uh, I
2: kind of liked it.
1: (laughs) It was it was garish. It was it was something.
2: It was it was just super Miami. Do you know what I mean? Like I liked that. I was just like, this is this place. You know, like it feels sort of like Disneyland or World or whichever one is there. Like, right?
1: I I, I agree with you with that, and I can imagine that's why Jeter wanted to get rid of it. Right? Yeah. Was. Um, uh, now I, I, I am also, I am with you in the sense of, I love the fact that stadiums have a character. I love like the Milwaukee Brewers has their mascot go down a slide mm-hmm. on a home run. I mean, that's just, that's amazing. That's such a representation of, yeah, unique character.
2: Something I to just, cut to in the TV broadcast.
1: There you go. You every, you need something, you know, but I love um, when they
2: cut to the apple. <laughs> In City Field, but like they never <laughs> cut to it when it is like moving up. They always just cut to it like when it's there, as right. if like for the apples' reaction to the home run. Well, and like, yeah, anyway.
1: Yeah, the, um, I mean, the, uh, the best shot I've seen the apple is when they accidentally put it up in the middle of an inning and <laughs> then they had to lower it. <laughs> and it was just, it doesn't go quickly, you know, this no, is a it process. Doesn't. Yeah. And yeah. it's a complete awkward, just hi, I was never here. Um, Kind of like how I wanted the Marlins. Like You were mentioning the opening uh, of the stadium that they don't keep it open. I remember once they did. Um, It was opening day. Orenia was pitching um, against Ian Happ. I think it was the first pitch of the entire season. Maybe it was 2018 or 2019. And Orenia allowed a home run. To Ian yeah, Hatton, the very I, first I remember
2: that because I was like, I was right about Ian <laughs> Yeah, right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And all I wanted them to do was to do the slow close of the roof in response to that. Like, oh, we opened it. Terrible idea. Terrible We're idea. That didn't this. work. We're yeah.
2: closing this right now. <laughs> yes. Oh, hilarious.
1: Yeah. Um, but anyway, Ellen. Ellen, we are we're about an hour and a half in. and uh, It's
2: classic Ellen Adair. Yes. I mean, this is why I'm like a sort of rotating co-host on the podcast is because I can talk interminably about basically nothing.
1: It, it's I mean, we're all here for it. We want to hear every word. So <laughs> I am in I'm in your debt for going this long. I always want to. You know me. I just I can go. Four hours. You
2: might go a little long on this podcast. I might. I might. I don't. (laughs) I'm sorry. Podcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I would love to be compared to podcast. So that'd be, that would be something You're the best,
2: Um, Nick. You're the greatest. No, 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 no. no. All right. Here. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to love on you for just a second. Okay. You can edit it out, but like, I'm going to say it and you have to listen to it. Here's what's so great about you. You are so funny and you are so freaking smart. And Yet you're so humble and it's like you're like the human equivalent of. And this is always something when I see it in a breakdown or any kind of description makes me crazy when it's like this girl is beautiful, but she doesn't know it. Like I just it like makes my skin crawl. But that's you like you're beautiful and you don't know how beautiful you are. Okay. Okay.
1: Thank you very much. It's very kind of you, Ellen, but not necessary in the slightest.
2: I mean, this is clearly not a quid pro quo situation. Like I'm already on the podcast. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just speaking my truth.
1: Well, well thank you very sad. much. It, it has been an absolute honor, though, having you know you spend your time. You have you said an audition tomorrow, and you said I... that it's all hands on deck. I mean, it is all hands on deck.
2: It's the third one this week. I'm kind of like my brain's real fried. Yeah,
1: you're going to nail it, though. It's
2: going to be wonderful.
1: Thanks. Um, What kind of character are we talking about? Obviously, you can't talk about the actual thing.
2: I I cannot talk about it. This is one where I feel like to say almost anything about this audition would be to sort of Potentially give away a thing about it. Okay, well then I'll say. Um, But it is uh, it is an incredible, fantastic challenge, and I wish I just had more time to give to it.
1: I'm gonna say that uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you not only get the audition get the parts, but excel in the position.
2: Well, thank you, thanks, and uh, and
1: Ellen, one more time, remind everybody where they can find you on Twitter and all the great things that you're doing.
2: Oh, I'm not sure I ever said it the first time, so thanks. (laughs) Uh, My Twitter handle is at Ellen underscore Adair. And on Instagram, I'm at... Uh, Ellen Adair G and also at Ellen Draws Baseball, which is where you can commission from me a drawing of a baseball player if you would like, or a drawing of another thing. You're like, give draw my cat. Like, I'm totally happy to do it. Or like me and my spouse for our anniversary, whatever. Um, I also do have a uh, website. Uh, it has a cumbersome url because i am uh n- trying to keep my baseball drawing overhead low uh but you can find the link to that on my twitter um it's com slash drawing yeah kind of cumbersome um but uh yeah you can find that at ellen draws baseball on instagram fantastic
1: uh yeah you did that for PitchCon. con that i was, did
2: that was, that was wonderful yes Yeah, I had a great time uh, drawing uh, uh, Roberto Clemente for Rob DiPietro. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, that was so great. Um, But anyway, once again, thanks so much for being here, Ellen. Absolutely uh, my pleasure. And we'll have our next episode next Wednesday uh, with Vlad Sedler. Very much looking forward to that. So uh, I'll talk to you guys next week.